You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hey, Feisties. This week, by popular demand, we are talking nutrition. Whether it's low-fat, high-protein, low-carb, no-carb, this week's guests and authors of The Menopause Diet Plan, Hillary Wright and Elizabeth Ward, have seen the diet trends come, and they've seen them go, and in some cases, they've seen them come around again and again. And, well, they know it works. And spoiler alert, as much as we want one, there's no magic formula. It's just about a well-balanced plate. And I can tell you from personal experience, I know this to be true. Because over the years, as I would write about all these diets, I would try them myself. And I can tell you, low-fat was hands-down the worst. Because I found myself eating all the time, bonking on long bike rides, gaining weight, not feeling great. Unfortunately, the disastrous result of that low-fat period led to the current demonization of carbs, as we all decided that it was the carbohydrates that were making us sick and causing us to gain weight and all these problems, when, well, that was kind of true, because we were eating tons and tons of carbohydrates when we took out the fat. And now that we've swung all the way over to the other side, so many people think carbs are the devil, and that's not working for us either. Because when you swing your diet all the way out to the other extreme and take out all the carbs and put in all the fat, it robs your body of very important energy sources like glucose. It can also really mess with your moods, which is the last thing that menopausal women need. Like my guests this week, I have found that balanced eating helps me feel and perform my best. Elizabeth and Hillary are both longtime registered dietitians. Hillary is also the author of the PCOS Diet Plan and the Pre-Diabetes Diet Plan. Elizabeth is the author and co-author of several books herself, including Expect the Best, Your Guide to Healthy Eating Before, During, and After Pregnancy. This is a pretty packed episode as we address all the vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients and foods that menopausal women need for strong bones and strong muscles and highly functional working cognition. We get into it all, including some of the trends in intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding. One note, I'll ask you to please forgive the sound quality this week. It was a bad technology day in the universe, and there were a series of glitches while we were recording this. So the sound is rougher than we'd like, but I promise the advice is all still in there. So without any more of me talking, let's get to the show. I think a lot of us have a simultaneous attraction and aversion to the word diet, right? Mm-hmm. Um we're drawn to it because it sounds like, oh, that's a solution. And it generally is a weight loss solution. We're adverse to it because we associate it with deprivation and after many times failure. So I was, I was wondering if you could just talk to like what inspired you, A, to sort of write this book and what, what the menopause diet, what that title means to you. Well, I mean, I think the word diet has become a hot button issue because people tend to equate it, as you just said, to a weight loss plan or a you know, radical approach to changing your health in some way. But we just reference it as you know, an, an eating pattern. It's mm-hmm. food. I mean, I think if you looked up the word diet in Webster's, it would originally you know, say is reference, references dietary patterns and foods that people eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't, we don't use it in that term. Um, it's more about how how can we communicate a, uh, an eating pattern, an eating style, you know, the types of foods that people want to emphasize most of the time. Um, you know, we don't care about what people do some of the time. And it's definitely not a rigid weight loss diet approach at all. Um, it's it's really just talking about food, and we meet it in that in that context. 
And the other word that we have in the title is plan. And, um, you know, that's really big to us because we want women to start thinking in their 40s about um, what is your plan, you know, in terms of what you you will be eating and why you need to plan and um, how to do it. So uh, I think, you know, yeah, we have the word diet in there because you kind of have to. I mean, it, it, it technically is a way of eating, but we really emphasize plan and personalization. You know, it really has to be how you want to do this, not how Hillary and I think you should do it, um, right, but, right. you know, how you want to do this. You know, as part of the plan, the plan is to be flexible and you determine as the reader what aspects of the plan feel like the right fit for you. Because some people may feel like they're already doing really well on this front and they're just interested in specifics related to this phase of life. Mm -hmm. Other people feel like they need more modeling, you know, these plates. And we can talk about that um, in more detail later if you want to. But these plates are infographics, you know, so some people like the guidance of, you know, from something that looks like a plate, you know, how would I plate my food in a way that would um, incorporate all of this complicated science that's way above the average person's, you know, interest level. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then other people might even want more detail, you know, around numbers as a way of maybe interfacing the plan with their technology that they may be utilizing, some sort of a technology that's giving them a lot of numbers related data that, again, we wouldn't encourage people to obsess over or anything. But sometimes it's helpful to have an idea of numbers if you are, for example, reading a label. Because as dietitians, we get asked that a lot. You know, I'm looking at a label. What do I make of this information? Right, right, right. So we, we actually entirely intended to be flexible and not mm -hmm. rigid like a weight loss diet at all. Right, right. Excellent, excellent. And, you know, for our audience, it, it's a little different because I've spent most of my life um, when I've written for some of the women's magazine, trying to encourage women to be active, you know, and trying to sort of work in that space. And I'm already talking to a very active audience here, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. like, all yeah, this conversation is all going through sort of that lens. Um, and with that, I think the first thing I, I would like to talk about when you're talking specifically to women in these menopausal years who are active, let's, let's get carbohydrates on the table first, right? Mm. Because, Nothing has been, since fat, nothing has been more vilified. I mean, we love to take a macronutrient and just hate on it or fear it. Right. Um, grains fall under that. So uh, let's, you know, I, I do know, you know, through some of my work with, with the physiologists that I work with, that women in this time can become a little more carb sensitive, if you, if mm -hmm. you will, right? But what, so what does it mean? Like what, when, what, how do carbohydrates fit in, into a menopausal woman's diet, especially if they might become more carb, carb sensitive, but they're also very active? I know that's a big question, but. Not really, because yeah. we don't, we like carbs. So <laughs> um, Liz and I are old enough to, you know, we kind of came of age as dietitians during the low fat, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And, um, mm, you know, in debacle. the end of that, you know, whole like flailing about like, what about fat? Um, the, the, you know, the final message was, it's actually that not that fat is bad. It's about the quality and the quantity. And we're now kind of convulsing around carbohydrates in the exact same way. You know, it's it when people say, oh, carbs are bad. And, you know, we encounter this all the time as well, when we're talking to our clients. Um, people, um, it, it kind of is so surprising to me sometimes how people can't see the difference between a fruit and a, a Skittle, you know, so there's, there's, but you know, the, the, the quality is, is this a carbohydrate that um, comes from nature that human beings have been eating forever, you know, whole fruits and vegetables and whole grains, you know, milk and yogurt contain carbohydrates you know, these naturally occurring carbohydrates bring along with them a whole slew of health benefits. Mm -hmm. um, when you take a carbohydrate and you process it into something else, you know, before you eat it, you often end up stripping out a lot of the health benefits. And so then they become carbs for fun, which we're in favor of that also, <laughs> because we also know that individual foods don't 
turn your health on and off like a switch. Mm -hmm. So we're big ab advocates of the 80-20 approach to decent eating. Like we, we sometimes are even sensitive to using the word healthy because we're afraid that might turn right. into clean eating and perfect right. eating and all that stuff. So we're interested in what people do most of the time. And so carbohydrates, there's no denying it. A, not only do people like them, um, they're a primary fuel source for the human body. And particularly if you're an active woman and you over-restrict your carbohydrates, not only are you likely going to miss out on some fiber that you could use and phytonutrients, you know, antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, all this good stuff, you're probably going to be tired all the time. Mm -hmm. So or depressed. it's not yes. an all or nothing prospect, but somehow it's kind of become that. Um, while you were talking, I had to wonder, are, is bread and pasta food or fun or both? <laughs> it depends on what it's made Ooh. with. Yeah. 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 The Italians eat pasta all day long, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they're pretty healthy people. Mm -hmm. um, they mm -hmm. also eat white bread. You know, you go mm -hmm. to a restaurant and you get white bread. It's not mm -hmm. whole grains. Portions matter. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, no matter what food we're talking about, portions matter. Just because a banana is healthy for you doesn't mean I'm going to say, go ahead and eat five bananas, you mm -hmm. know? So it's balance, variety, and moderation. And, you know, if you talk about what's the recommendation for grains, let's say from the dietary guidelines for Americans, it's half of your grains as whole grains. The other half do not have to be whole grains necessarily. So, um, you know, I think we all need to chill. Um, I think the biggest problem is all the extra carbohydrates that we're talking about, the sugar in your coffee, the candy, the cookies, the, you know, bread, even refined, even white bread has vitamins and minerals in it. So, um, but like Hillary was saying, a Skittles, you know, packages of Skittles, nothing, nothing <laughs> but sugar. So that is fun. Yes. For if sure. you like, <laughs> I don't like I don't Skittles like at all. Skittles. I, I think they're the grossest Kisses. thing ever. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not anti-candy. No. I just no. don't understand the Skittle fascination. No, really. I think they're no, disgusting. me either. I don't get yeah. it. And the, and the fact is too, that often the more you demonize the food, the more you elevate it. Like it's got some special power. And yeah. so you if I partake, yeah. I've crossed over into that space. Right. And now I'm eat the whole thing. Cause I'm not going to eat it again. Come <laughs> tomorrow morning. I mean, way too much emotion attached to this food category yeah. not enough appreciation for all the nutritional benefits it mm -hmm. brings if you make the right choices most of the time right right um is there any wisdom for women who are you know maybe maybe becoming more insulin resistant and more carb sensitive as they you know enter into menopause and postmenopause? is there some wisdom for timing it a little around their their activity as far as they're uh, you know, I, around activity, and I don't know if Liz would think differently. I mean, I don't know that that varies whether a woman is menopausal or not. Mm -hmm. um, so, but if the truth is, and we do discuss this in a lot of detail in the book, that as we get older, we're more prone to insulin resistance. And so, but again, you know, the beauty of the balanced plate, it, it's an infographic and it takes into account quantity, you know, um, portion control, you know, um, if you spread your carbohydrates out over the day and pay attention to your hunger so that you don't expect to have, you know, great control over your impulses when you're starving, um, proactively eating so that you're maybe approaching your next meal on a one to 10 scale where your hunger is not a 10, but maybe a five. Right. Um, you know, we're not, we're not designed to um, resist foods, particularly carbohydrates. And most people will notice if you over restrict food or you go too long without eating, your brain is generally not jonesing for like chicken and carrots. No. It's carbs because right. your brain burns a ton of them. Your brain burns twice, you know, gram for gram, your brain burns twice the carbohydrate of, of muscles. So we have more muscles, but your brain is the most aggressive user. So tending to your uh, brain's requirement for carbohydrates and tending to your muscles requirements for carbohydrates when it's not desperate is important to practicing the portion control that this balance plate, you know, offers as a visual. I think if you do, you know, you do notice you're, you have, are having you know, greater insulin resistance, you know, based on your blood sugar uh, levels, as Hillary was saying, 
um, that might go up with age. So maybe a little bit of activity after a meal, you know, is going to help your muscles mm. take up a lot of that extra glucose. Um, and that's going to help because as Hillary said, your muscles are maybe their number two in terms of an organ um, using up glucose, but they chow, they chow glucose. So, so good to have that combination there. Right. The, no, those other, are great points. Yeah. If I can geek out on this for one minute, because yeah, I've read a like lot of books out. all about insulin resistance. This is my thing. Do it. Um, when people are physically active, they're producing inside their cells these proteins called glucose transporters, and they they partner with insulin to regulate your blood sugar. So if you eat a larger meal and then you go for a walk or do some sort of activity, you will generate more of these glucose transporters. So that will partner with the insulin and make it easier to um, manage your blood sugar in the hours after you eat. So again, I don't say that to make people like, oh my God, I just ate, I have to exercise. Like I really opposed, we're really opposed to compulsive behavior. However, the reality is there's a reason why diabetes was a rich person's disease a hundred years ago. You know, everybody else's life was really physically active and it is the most natural thing that you can do to make insulin more able to unlock your cells. That's an excellent, excellent point. Excellent point. Um, and there's so much traditional wisdom, right? Like that evening walk that people used to take, their constitutional or whatever they called it. You know, I mean, yeah, I like think they was, do in Europe. I mean, yeah. they do. They're out walking around after they eat. It you go out sense. and see and be seen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Common it's a very, sense. very Italian thing. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that the brain point is super, super important because the brain the brain only uses glucose, right? The brain needs glucose and... It prefers glucose. Yeah, fair, yeah. fair. Right. But, but the brain yeah. is going to win. People love this willpower idea, yeah. but the, yeah. brain is, oh, no. the brain is going to win. It's right. not about... I mean, you only have so much psychological energy. You know, you have all these demands on your psyche, let's say. And, you know, why, why taunt yourself? Why, why, you know, why, why do that? You know, because that's going to set you up to, like Hillary said, seek out carbs, seek out fatty foods, mm-hmm. you know, go for the chocolate instead of, you know, the carrot, because you just can't control it anymore. I mean, it's right. just too much. That's Man, why like uh, after a glass of wine, people are like, Woo-hoo! you know, if they've woo-hoo! been distracting yeah. themselves, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all bets go off. Right. Yeah. They do. You know, for us, it really ends at, you know, being resisting the temptations of food uh, is not built into our genetics. You know, our ancestors did not stumble across a berry bush and say like, ooh, should I eat this? <laughs> you know, so we're really evolutionarily yeah. designed to be opportunistic about eating. And it's bad. It's unfortunately for us, for us now because we're so surrounded by food. So, um, you know, it's not like we're total lemmings and don't have any self-control, but this drive for food is real and it's and facilitated survival. And so the, the little bit of willpower and good intentions that we're born uh, with, you know, if we're working from a plan, they can kind of help us over the bumps. But if we're starving, those things get flattened and the right. cave girl takes over yeah, and girl. it's like a whole bag of chips. Yeah. See you Looking later. Good. So you've mentioned the diet plate a couple times, your menopause uh, plate, and I was going to ask about that later, but let's just dive into it sooner because you've referenced it a couple of times. Um, you know, the plate looks really similar to a lot of like heart health, cancer prevention, like a lot of plates that I've seen on, and obviously you listening can't see the plate, but so you can, can you describe the portions on the plate that you've put together and what was uh, some of the thought about behind that? So there's, and you're correct in that pretty much every health organization that produces an infographic to show what healthful eating for humans looks like, looks like this plate in one form or another. So whether you're talking about the choose my plate, which replaced the food pyramid from the USDA or the uh, new American plate from the American Institute for Cancer Research, you know, the Harvard healthy eating plate, they all basically cut a plate down the middle. And on one side you have, vegetables and fruits and on the other half cut in half is about a quarter some sort of a protein hopefully including some plant proteins and a quarter some sort of cart and a quality carbohydrate be it a whole grain or a starchy vegetable Um, legumes are like crossover things they're proteins and carbohydrates as is quinoa but the idea is you know if you cover half your plate with a huge piece of protein or a large pile of starch 
you're largely filling up on things that are much more calorie dense and, um, you know, have more health challenges associated with them. But if you try to cover half your plate with vegetables and fruits so that you're to a significant extent filling up on things that not only are mostly water, contain fiber and vitamins and minerals, they're also loaded with over 100,000 different um, immunochemicals that plants possess that we love together and call them phytonutrients, you know, phyto mm-hmm. just means plant in Greek. And there's over 100,000 of them and they occur in countless combinations and plants, they give plants their color, their smell and their taste. Um, and so, you know, uh, just simply varying up the color allows you to diversify these um, health promoting nutrients that are natural anti-inflammatories, natural antioxidants, natural detoxifiers. So it's trying to corral people's eating into a model that really encourages them to probably, you know, if we're honest, eat more vegetables than you usually do, eat more fruit than you usually do, you know, be mindful of your quantity of your carbohydrate and make sure you get some protein in there. Yeah. Yeah. And the fat usually comes along for the ride, right? I mean, I always tell people like, Throwing nuts and seeds, but yeah, it's it's just it's It's like incorporated. Yeah, Um, have to add you know fat to your diet. You can, of course, but a salad dressing and you're cooking with it, but you don't have to like panic. Oh, did I get enough fat today? Right, right, right. Right. Most people cook with olive oil, like peanut butter and avocado. You know, if you don't like avocado these days, it appears you're in the minority. Yeah. I can't hear you when you turn away, Liz. What? Uh, I said, that's okay if you don't like avocado. It's fine. You don't have to. <laughs> thank, thank you for that permission. For, to not it's like a PSA. I love a avocado, PSA. but I know people who are oddly apologetic when they don't. Yeah. Like, I know. It's, it's like, it's, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's food du jour. You're supposed to like it. So I, was, you, I think you answered my question. I was, I was going to ask you, like, if there's one thing on that plate that women in this audience typically don't get enough of, would it be fruits and vegetables? Like, what would be the one thing that you said? If you, if you look at that plate yeah. and say, this is the one thing I want, like most people I see don't get enough of on that plate, what would it be? I, I think so, simply because, like, this is, what I, this is how I advise my clients. If you are having vegetables incorporated into your meal, consider them bonus vegetables because the quantity is not going to represent anything close to what we have on this plate. Um, And in my experience, many women, when they describe the vegetable with their dinner, it's like the lettuce and tomato and their taco are bonus vegetables. So uh, I would, again, we, you know, we would advise, you know, you should make some more vegetables to go with that. Think of what that plate looks like, but the protein piece is always also really important. Um, yeah. Liz's passion is the protein thing. Passion and for protein. women um, you know, need a little more as they get older, but often are not getting it enough. Hmm. Where do they, do they fall short because they don't get it at every meal or they don't get enough? Is that it? Talk to me about that a bit oh, more, Liz. Then. Many reasons. Okay. They're not getting enough overall. Um, it's not being spaced out properly throughout the day. Um, usually gets bunched up you know, at dinner time, um, it's not in their snacks. Um, but I would say that generally the problem is that there's not enough okay. uh, in their diets. So how do you advise people to get more when you do? Like if you see somebody who's like, you need more protein, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you need more protein. Um, so, yeah, we talk extensively about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've never really met a high protein food that we didn't like, mm-hmm. um, because they have lots of nutrients in them, whether they're plant foods like soy, um, foods or nuts or seeds. Um, they, you know, you can really, uh, have a variety of protein rich foods, um, in your diet. So, um, you have a long list of, of uh, protein foods and, and their amounts and the portion sizes in the book. But, you know, basically we, we would ask people, you know, what, what are you eating for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks and try to figure out, you know, where the issue is. And usually it's at breakfast. Um, women, are, yeah, yeah. Women are really um, not so good at eating breakfast, number one. And number two, of course, getting enough protein hmm. um, in it. And then we always like to say that, you know, breakfast starts out like really low protein, 
lunch may be a little bit better. And then by three or four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, you're ready to chew your arm off because you're so hungry because protein is satiating, mm-hmm. it keeps you fuller for longer. Um, so, um, and then, you know, dinner comes and it's huge, you know, and it's a big, uh, amount of protein and your body can't use that much protein mm. at once. Right, right. So we've lost so much opportunity through the earlier part of the day in terms of, you know, um, muscle, uh, building and muscle preservation as well. Yeah. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't it also sort of help tamp down some of the stress? Hormones, right? Like you wake up pretty with like higher cortisol, like doesn't eating and having some protein, doesn't that help that a little bit in the morning time? Uh, you know, so again, I, nutrition science is rarely that specific. Okay. Mm-hmm. So okay. we emphasize balance and balance will check the boxes for all kinds of things that seem, you know, eating breakfast, there's loads of research that suggests it's a good idea. At, at a minimum, it's a, it's a, a, your first opportunity to start getting healthful foods into your body because when you speak to someone about how they're eating, we're looking for, to put check marks next to, uh, you know, you had a fruit, you had a vegetable, you had some protein, you know, just because somebody doesn't, you know, drink soda or go to McDonald's doesn't mean they eat enough volume wise of healthy kinds of foods. Mm -hmm. I also, you know, (laughs) we also like to um, remind people, I'll let people know in case they missed the press release that eggs have been let off the hook. I, I eat them all the time. I love eggs. I can't even imagine. In 2015, I think it was 2015, they, the dietary guidelines determined cholesterol was an issue, not of concern unless you have some, you know, really rare familial high cholesterol. Is that yeah, right, Liz? Genetic problem. Yeah. And right. you can't really control your, right, like, right. your cholesterol. So we always say, eat the yolks. That's where oh all the Amen. nutrition is, all the vitamins and minerals. And do you know half the protein is actually in the yolk? It's not all in the white. Right, right. Everybody's so, like, oh, just the egg whites. Like, no. Yeah, no, no, no. That, I, I, I would love to see that die too, because <laughs> so much good, like for your eyes, like all those nutrients that are hard to get anywhere. Like eggs are amazing. Right. They are amazing. They've got so many um, nutrients. Like you were saying, the lutein, um, which is what makes it yellow, Mm -hmm. the yolk yellow is critical for eye health. And so there's lutein in fruits and vegetables. Yes. But the lutein in the egg, while it's a lower amount, it's much better absorbed by your body. Um, And so you use it better. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So make make one more plug for (laughs) one more plug for protein at breakfast. Please. It helps you to manage your hunger right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. So many women in our experience get up and they kind of layer like three or four carbs on top of each other. And they may be healthful foods, but if you include some protein in there, protein slows down digestion. You know, it slows the rate at which food, you know, goes out of your stomach into your intestines. And most of us will notice if we eat more proteins with, uh, with breakfast, we are maybe not as prone to being starved by lunch or may not need a snack mid-morning, right. then I, I mean, I know myself personally, I stopped eating my favorite thing, which is cold cereal with milk and fruit every morning because I was crashing at 1030. 100%. I that every day. Really? So I, I would have like a third so breakfast, that's, that's a fourth me. breakfast. I'm like, when is it time to eat again? I did not, like my husband would have two bowls of cereal. I'm like, that's a good idea. Like I'm still hungry. Yeah. I am in the same boat. I can't, I put cold cereal out of my, but some people do well. I don't do well. Yeah. I mean, so I do better with oatmeal and mm-hmm. fruit and, and berries. Um, and I'm more likely actually to eat eggs at lunch. So, but Liz eats cold cereal and fruit and milk and does fine. So people have to, you know, understand yeah. what their body tells them. Just listen and, and figure it out. You know? But I also have a giant cup of coffee, right? Like, what is that? The 20 ounce mug that we just recently bought yeah, yeah, right yeah. away. Yes. And half of it's milk. Right. And, um, and so, so there is another um, serving, there's more protein. Yep. Plus I have milk in my tea before I even get to the coffee. So <laughs> for all, I'm hitting about at least 20 grams of protein at breakfast. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds funny, um, but it, I do, I, I measured it because I'm a geek and um, I met, and that's because I needed to know. So plus so oats yeah. have a little more protein in them, I think. Yeah. Well, oats, and you might be more full because of the fiber too. Yeah, but I mean, we're not. So what I do is I love, yeah, Yeah. I love cold cereal. So I will eat it when I know I'm about to go to the gym. 
sometimes. When you what? I'm sorry. I didn't catch it. When I'm going to go to the gym and I know, you know, the exercise is going to lower my blood sugar and I'm going to be fine to come home and eat. What are you eating? Sugar snacks or something? Ooh. Like, what do you think? No, I'm talking about, like, I'm talking about, like Right? They are delicious. Cold cereal. I'm talking about like heritage. Like they are delicious. Oh, really? But I, it doesn't, they go, it doesn't, it doesn't last me. Satisfy. It doesn't hold me. Maybe, no. yeah. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so many. Captain Crunch. And all the breakfast. Good ones. Yeah. 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 No, I don't have those. I have a high fiber cereal, um, you know, and, and milk and a huge, I have to say, probably eat like two servings of banana. If I don't have a banana, I'm starving. Isn't that weird? So, so it's going to be that Everyone soluble fiber or something. But we like, just want to make sure that you're working in, you know, at least 20 grams of protein at, at breakfast of protein. Excellent. So I'm interested in, you, you mentioned in the book that I found interesting, some of the, the nutrients that women might need more or maybe even less of at this time of life. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned choline, which I have not seen come up a lot. I was wondering if you could mm-hmm. talk a bit about a couple of these, like a highlight. So choline is a B-like vitamin. It's, it's considered an essential nutrient, which means you must get it from foods or supplements. Mm-hmm. And it's involved when you're, when you're um, pregnant and the brain is forming. Um, it's involved with the memory center, which is called the hippocampus. And as we age, um, you know, the hippocampus gets smaller. Well, we don't want it to get smaller, you know, because um, studies show that in people who are exhibiting the symptoms of Alzheimer's, the brain, that part of the brain has shrunk. Well, it's a memory center. So that makes sense. And choline is part of, uh, you know, nourishing the brain, particularly the hippocampus. Um, So, you know, it's one of those foods, one of those nutrients that flies under the radar. I mean, no one really talks about it, but there is some evidence that says that, uh, well, first of all, we know women aren't getting enough of it, like through all life stages, but there's evidence that says that estrogen is involved in the production of choline. So as we get into our 40s and our estrogen's like, ooh, on the roller coaster ride, and then much lower, you know, once menopause occurs, um, you know, we we may need even more choline. Mm -hmm. Now, this is all preliminary, not saying go out and, you know, start pounding the choline supplements, but... Um, do be aware of it. And we were talking about eggs and eggs are like one of the primary sources of choline. The, the yolk is extremely rich in choline, but basically all high protein foods have choline in them. So mm. seafood, meat, okay. chicken. Yeah. Another, another check in the protein box. From, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're big fans. <laughs> so, speak and, and let's talk a little B12 is one that I think gets sort right. of skated by too, that, uh, can be super important for, for everybody when they get older, right? But, uh, you know. Yeah, it, men and women. Mm-hmm. So the recommendations are because B12 supports the central nervous system in so many ways, um, we want to get enough so that we prevent any sort of nerve damage or any sort of issues with, with the brain and the central nervous system. Um, and there is evidence that some people are not getting enough B12. Certainly if you don't, do not eat any animal foods, um, or if you undereat them, meaning that you know you favor more plant foods, mm-hmm. let's say, um, you may have, you will have a B12 deficiency if you don't take a supplement. If you're a vegan, um, but you won't necessarily. You might have like a subclinical, as we call it, like a mild deficiency if you're eating that so-called mainstream diet, but not not enough. Um, uh, B12. So what happens over age 50, a certain percentage of people have um, a condition where they can't break off the vitamin B12 from when it's found in food. So the natural vitamin B12 doesn't get absorbed and used um, as, as, uh, as efficiently. So the recommendation is really to get the bulk of your B12 from supplements or fortified foods like, um, you know, cereals have B12 in them, you know, breads, um, other carbs, carbs. (laughs) Um, So, or you could take a supplement and make sure you're getting, you know, a hundred percent of the B12. You don't have to go overboard. Now we're not saying, you know, go use higher amounts of these things and somehow miraculously you won't age and, you know, menopause will be a breeze. Uh, we just want to make sure that you're filling in the gaps. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then what happens with um, B12's partner, iron, in this stage of life? Because iron is an issue for women 
all through their lives, right? What's yeah, going on their now? whole lives. Yeah. yeah, their whole childbearing lives. Um, women are um, often, you know, have like a slight deficiency or a major deficiency of iron. It's one of the um, primary nutrient deficiencies of women around the world in their childbearing years. Well, after your period stops, um, you're not losing blood anymore. And that's really the primary way that you lose iron is by bleeding. You don't sweat it out. You don't pee it out. You don't poop it out, um, generally speaking. I mean, so once you're not losing blood every month, your iron needs are they are the same as a man's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, unless you've got some sort of bleeding somewhere. Um, a lot of times, older people, people that are past menopause will have iron deficiency anemia that because they've got a slow bleed somewhere mm-hmm. and that's a totally different thing. Okay. Okay. So I'm hearing that women in this age don't need to be quite as concerned about low iron. Is that what you're right? Okay. Cause they're not losing it anymore. Right, so right. if you're going to take a dietary supplement, like you should be getting, I hate to say it, the senior multivitamin, mm-hmm. um, which has just a smidge of iron in gotcha. it or zero iron. Gotcha. Um, because the one, the supplements for men have no iron in them generally. Right. Speaking. Right. For heart health reasons. Right. Because you're still eating, <laughs> you know, you're eating. Yeah. So you're getting yeah. iron in your foods. So that, you know, I think we should also point out that we do talk about perimenopause in the book and during perimenopause, some women's periods become, you know, harm, you know, hellish and they may actually lose a lot of iron in those years where their Mm -hmm. periods may become heavier. It's easy for perimenopausal to be women to become anemic. Yeah. That's a great point. After menopause. Is that something that they should be working with their doctor to check on as far as, I mean, if you're going through symptoms, yeah. Yeah, definitely. They have symptoms if they're always tired. Um, you know, if they're foggy, like really foggy. Um, if they if they bleed a lot, you know, every month and it's just debilitating. Yeah. yeah, they should definitely get their levels checked. And it's not a complicated thing. I mean, a complete blood count is a very run-of-the-mill Simple. test. Um, and sometimes it's just routinely done depending mm-hmm. on the clinician. Gotcha. Excellent. Uh, let's talk a little bit and, and switch gears perhaps about the role of diet and inflammation, especially at this time of life. So the thing about inflammation is it's a natural part of our immune system. It is an important function in the human body, but it's supposed to sort of charge in and save the day when something's amiss and then recede like the tide. So for example, most people can relate to if you got like a cut, and it got inflamed, you know, you're having fluids and immune factors and nutrients are, you know, charging in and trying to promote healing. And then the healing, you know, commences and those things retreat and, and, and your body shuttles away all the junk and the inflammation goes away. So that's the function of inflammation to kind of come and go as needed as part of your body's defense. The, the challenge we have now is that much of our default environmental stuff um, causes inflammation to kind of come in and sit on us and not really go away. So the way I like to think about this is like, we're all born with this brand new body with this, you know, squeaky clean immune system that's there to defend us against the insults of the world. Many of which can cause inflammation, also oxidation and toxic exposure, all that kind of stuff. And our immune system tries to function in an anti-inflammatory antioxidant detoxifying way to defend us. But what we do with diet and lifestyle can either back up our immune system's ability to defend us by giving us anti, you know, antioxidants. Our diet can provide antioxidants in the form of uh, largely those phytonutrients that we discussed earlier. Those, you know, there's a reason why the, the uh, fruit and vegetable recommendations are like eat according to the rainbow or eat a variety of colorful fruits and vegetables. That makes more sense than saying eat some isocyanates and some carotenoids <laughs> and some resveratrol um, because all of the, these fruits and vegetables and whole grains um, and the lutein that's in eggs is a phytonutrient. So these things naturally provide our, our immune system some defense to up its game and deal with the additional burden of inflammation and help to neutralize it. But unfortunately, you know, having a sedentary lifestyle, eating a lot of processed foods, eating too much red meat, 
you know, cigarette smoking, you know, stuff like air that. pollution, even super like pollution. inflammatory, yeah. you know, yeah. if, if that is, those are more dominant exposures for your body, hmm. um, there's, there's likely to be an imbalance in the pro-inflammation, anti-inflammation. Um, and so again, those, those simple visuals of these balance plates are designed to depict, you know, not just the uh, variety by based on the colors, but the quantity that we're really looking for. Again, not just lettuce and tomato mm-hmm. on your sandwich, but what about having an orange on the side and some baby carrots, you know, like really get up the volume and vary up the colors to give your body some ability to neutralize that inflammation. Is that more important with age as well? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any, any, every additional day you're on this planet, your body's been subjected to more. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's it's true. true. <laughs> and it's, might be hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> she said a positive one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you're you never regret growing old. It's a privilege denied to many. That's what my grandparents should said. So, yeah. That's the way I right. feel about it. Just give your body the defense it needs. Don't make it fight so hard on its own. Help it out. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some other things that are very uh, yeah, trendy. It's been around for a while, but I, I hear a lot. I'm sure you hear a lot about women who are interested in intermittent fasting or time restricted eating. You know, some of those things that they uh, body composition is a big concern at this age because we're losing muscle. We're putting on fat. What are your thoughts on those, those strategies? So intermittent fasting is kind of like this umbrella thing under which you have some that we think are not any more sustainable than crash dieting and, and some that have values. So a fasting every other day defined as generally less than 500 calories a day does not feel sustainable to us. Even 5-2 fasting, you know, we're not robots, you know, not every Tuesday is going to be out today. I can tolerate less than 500 calories. So we're very vested in steering people away from unsustainable behaviors. But there is definitely something uh, based on our circadian rhythms and our body's ability to metabolize food more effectively and and regulate our hormones and all of these things during the sunup time of the day, that there is something to what's called extended time fasting. So again, there are people that are taking that to the extreme and in our opinion, in an unsustainable way, like, well, I'm only going to eat for six hours a day. I'm only going to eat for eight hours a day. But the evidence is there for trying to corral your eating into you know, or trying to fast, you know, in as little as, you know, 12 or 13 hours a day. So again, there's no benefit. I've seen people lose a lot of weight by corralling their eating into six or eight hours only to gain it all back once they can't do that anymore. So, and most of that time restricted eating can be done at night when you're sleeping. So in our book, I know our diet, I'm sure you've seen it because you've read the book. We don't recommend eating after dinner. And, um, you know, this is one of the reasons that Hillary mentioned the circadian rhythm. Um, your body processes food much better um, during the day, especially earlier in the day. And that's an insulin rhythm. Um, so, and again, that goes back to our cave, caveman, cave girl DNA. Right. You know, um, that's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to eat most of your uh, calories when it's light out, if you will. But now we've got electricity, we've got screens, we've got these, you know, doing artificial things to our bodies. And really, we should be paying attention to how they were originally designed. The other day, I did an interview about the one meal a day uh, diet. Yeah, have you heard of that? You eat for one hour a day. <laughs> one hour. A day. Okay. And it's not, it's a, it's a, re, it's a restrictive form of intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's really popular. How in the world could you possibly get everything that you needed in one hour? And sometimes I don't even think you can do it in six hours. I mean, you know, five servings of fruits and vegetables, you know, six to nine ounces of protein. It's really hard. So we are concerned that people are skimping. Um, The other thing, when it goes, again, back to protein, your body needs a consistent source of protein. It will be constantly borrowing from its stores, which really it doesn't have stores. I mean, muscles. that's really your, your muscles, yeah. right? And potentially your organs, if you know, you're going to go through your muscles and, you know, it needs to be paid back like with every meal. So um, that's the most efficient way to use protein. So what we have come down 
with, you know, or I'll, I'll come up with in the book is just don't eat after dinner. We know sometimes you're going to go out with your friends or whatever. This is not going to work. But for the most part, don't eat and try to do like 12 hours because it gives your body a rest. Right. Um, but and that, and that rest yeah. seems to be better timed with the sun being down. Right. So, you know, prior to, to electricity, you know, the sun went down, the campfire went out and you weren't out there hunting and gathering and eating. So fasting literally means that the hormones and the, the chemistry that's released into your body after you digest food, insulin being a huge one, um, those levels are not active, they're down. And so insulin is a, uh, you know, a very prominent hormone that its actual job is to protect your body fat. So oftentimes, and we all know that people eat after dinner for reasons that have nothing to do with hunger. But often people are eating after dinner because they've been, you know, women are great dieters until, you know, late afternoon. So um, often, you know, people are eating after dinner because they haven't eaten enough during the day. But now, you know, what we're potentially doing is depriving ourselves of these hours when our body uh, biologically is more primed to let go of some body fat. Um, because fasting, fasting isn't just, I just put my fork down and now I'm fasting, you know. Fasting is I put my fork down and my body has to do all the digestion and send all that stuff into my blood and process it. And now everything involved in that is back down. That takes a few hours. So, you know, if, if we eat enough earlier in the day, starting with breakfast, we may be more able to be satisfied by dinner without our brain still wondering where's the rest of the calories. And it might help promote better sleep, which is also a problem this time of life. Right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. absolutely. Eating, yeah. you know, stuffing yourself, which some people do uh, before they go to bed, it, it wrecks your sleep. Um, you, if you're prone to heartburn, which people are as they get older, um, it's going to be even worse. And then you're going to wake up and start the whole cycle all over again. So we, we need to um, break the cycle. And, you know, you don't just go cold turkey and not eat anything after dinner but if, if it's not something you're accustomed to have a really really small snack mm-hmm. close the kitchen and, and uh you know go to bed get the sleep you need because sleep and we talk about it in the book it drives just about everything and don't be surprised if you don't want breakfast if you didn't stop eating until i was just gonna say that it can wait you can wake up hungry it's a lovely thing to wake up like hungry because you feel like your body is sort of like on right like right. that's how i feel yeah well hunger is not a bad thing no, See, no i think, think it's great to wake up hungry that means like I've exactly been... I mean, it's, your, it's your brain saying okay i need some stuff and uh-huh. so what and let's you go put yeah. in there let's go can matter can can influence how the rest of your day goes definitely yeah yeah let's talk a little bit about um because this is this is big i think especially for women in this age group supplements versus food especially when we're talking about bone health and, and calcium and, and, you know, there's been so much, that's another one that I feel like has had a lot of conflicting and confusing messages over the years um, for women. So Mm -hmm. I'd love you to just address bone health fracture prevention and like the best strategy to get what you need to maintain and and model those bones at at this time. Sure. So um, after 50, the recommendation for uh, calcium, um, daily calcium intake goes up. So it goes up from 1000 milligrams a day to 1200 milligrams a day, which is probably like four servings from the dairy group, let's say, because that's the most packed. Um, And when I say dairy, I'm not talking about oat milk or almond milk necessarily. I'm talking, uh, no, not because those aren't dairy, but um, the dairy group does include fortified soy Mm -hmm. um, beverage um, as well as dairy milk. So, so that's a lot, you know, a lot of time I don't get four four servings of dairy a day, but what I do is supplement with calcium and also with vitamin D. So vitamin D is really tough. That's the other nutrient that you need to build bones. Um, And without vitamin D, calcium's rather not useless, but not, it's not functioning on all cylinders in order to keep your bones strong. Um, so, so what I do is I supplement, you know, I know I'm only, if I'm getting two or three, I just take, you know, a supplement, uh, to bridge the gap, Mm -hmm. which is how we really like you to use supplements. We don't recommend, you know, uh, supplements right off the bat necessarily. Um, so, so that's what, that's, you know, what, what you want to do, you want to make sure that you're getting 1200 milligrams of um, 
calcium every day. And what is the what's the recommendation in micro on the new units for uh, 20, uh, for vitamin D? Yeah, it's twenty five micrograms. Uh, twenty five is a thousand, so I think it's technically twenty. Like twenty or even twenty five. Yeah, twenty five mm. micrograms used to be international units right, of right. vitamin I remember D. Remember that. Vitamin D is very tough to get from food. Um, you know, salmon is a good source. Tuna is a good source. Um, milk, because it's fortified, is a good source. But naturally occurring vitamin D is just, it's really difficult. So I take a vitamin D supplement. Um, and I take a thousand international units a day, yeah. 25 micrograms a day, because we live in Boston <laughs> and we don't vitamin D. You vitamin could stand D. outside naked right now and you're not going to make any vitamin D. No. Completely naked. You would make none. Um, so if you live above the, I think the 37th uh, parallel. It's like Los Angeles, like, Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. If you live above that, you're not making a lot of vitamin D and you most likely need a supplement. And you can get that amount, like I take a women's uh, one a day type multivitamin that has a thousand IUs or 25 micrograms. People really should get used to those micrograms because the IUs are going away. Yeah. I think she's directing that towards me. Yeah. <laughs> going away. Yeah. Both, both. 25 US, micrograms. They're both in the book. So yeah. And they're still on supplement bottles, but they're not on food because the vitamin D is on food labels now and it's only there in micrograms. Yes. Because that's a new one that came out in 2016. So, so you're yeah. saying that when I look at a package or something, the vitamin D won't necessarily be in a unit that I recognize, but it should still give me a percentage of the daily, yes. right? Yes, it will give you a percentage. Yes, it will. Yep, the daily value. Yeah, mm -hmm. that'll help. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that definitely helps. Um, if, if indeed you read your labels. And I think, I see, I see women reading labels in the store. I think, that, uh, I, I think that we have some label readers in our audience, for sure. I know we have some <laughs> label readers in our audience. Oh, I'm sure you do. I'm sure, <laughs> sure we do. Somebody... <laughs> Somebody has to be reading these labels, right? right? No, and you know, and some of the best food I tell people, some of the best food has no label, right? Like if you like go to the produce right. and there's not a whole lot of labels, but that's a great thing because they have they naturally have what you need in them. Um, this is this has been super great, a lot for people to digest. Pun fully intended. Um, are there other takeaways that you really want, you know, the, from this book that that? That, that you would like to share with our audience now? Oh, yeah. I've got a big one. Go for it. Oh. <laughs> um, women at this stage of life, sometimes weight becomes such a focus that there's a lot of over-restricting that is going on. And weight control is, you know, we talk about this a lot in the book. It's not just about math. It's not just about, oh, if I just keep eating less and less and less and less and exercising more and more and more and more, I can prevent my body from changing. Mm -hmm. So... We, we try to encourage people to realize that, but, you know, bodies do change as you get older and in ways that maybe you experience other people might not even notice. So that can be, you know, kind of an issue for women as they get older. And I think it can lead many women at risk of um, avoiding too many foods that their body really needs to stay healthy mm -hmm. because over-restricting, particularly if people are obsessed about carbs, you know, Liz and I have had countless conversations with people about fruit. Fruit is actually good for you under all circumstances, unless you have an allergy, period. You know, that's it. So, you know, you have to eat a certain amount of food, as Liz said. You have to have a certain number of opportunities each day to get at food that will do your body good. And if you just hyper-focus on weight, you, there's an old-fashioned saying, like, you're likely throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So maybe your audience may or may not be able to remember that <laughs> one. But basically, you don't want to you know, throw out good, important things in pursuit of one thing that um, might not be worthy of so much energy and focus in the big picture. Yeah, we, we tend to think of eating disorders as a young woman's game, so to speak, but it's not mm -hmm. at all. It is. No. And if your relationship with food, you know, wasn't quite right when you were younger, chances are it's going to get worse now because now you talk about really not being in control of your body. Um, this is, you know, there, there are changes coming um, in menopause. Um, and it's time to work on learning how to accept those. Um, and because we want you to be the healthiest person you can be from now on. Right, right. 
And, and also know that not everything that happens to our body at midlife is related to menopause. So when you go online and be like, oh my, this is bad and that is bad and I'm gaining some weight. And this, you know, what are, what are we all experiencing at this age? You know, aging parents, kids that are growing up, but maybe not out, you know, jobs that maybe have gotten, you got a promotion and that's great, but you're less active than when you were the worker bee, you know, um, this, you know, you may be dealing with some health problems. So we're just there to try to help people empower themselves to say, okay, this is what the science says. And here's how you, with a heavy dose of realism, apply this science to day-to-day life. And no matter what any day looks like, um, humans aren't perfect. We don't do things perfectly. Just, you know, forget about it and get up the next day and just, you know, give it your best effort. But um, you're right. I mean, I think after like adolescence, um, women in their 40s and 50s are an emerging bucket of people that are developing eating disorders. And there could be some serious health consequences to that. Um, on health and just general nutritional status mm-hmm. that people have to be aware of. A hundred percent. I have mm-hmm. lost friends in their fifties to eating disorders. Like, oh, um, so sad. It's so sad. Or seeing them uh, break bones in their forties. That is, I, mm-hmm. it, I, it's very clear what it's linked to. Um, mm-hmm. In, in the book, not to belabor this point, but it, it is the one that I hear so, so much about, and I'm sure you do too. What, what guidance do you give them to try to maintain a healthy weight? Is it caloric? Is it the plate? You know what I'm saying? Like- it's all of the, it's, it's the quality of the foods that you're eating. It's the quantity, you know, how well are you managing your hunger throughout the day so that you can be a more proactive eater early day versus a reactive overeater, you know, are you doing what you can to maintain some muscle mass? You know, your audience, they're probably is, is that better yeah. than, you know, the average person. Um, are you trying to manage your stress? Are you prioritizing sleep? You know, the food distribution piece is a big part, you know, so people have to look at, you know, we outline this in a lot of detail mm-hmm. and people need to look at that and say, how much am I willing to commit to this and still live an enjoyable life? Right. Right. Because, you know, misery does not, is not good for your health. No, it is not. No, there, there should be a, a happy weight that, that I encourage people to find their happy weight, you know, not the right. incredibly sacrificial weight, you know, in our, in our audience, you know, I'm, I am involved in cycling and, and running and all these things where you do hear so much emphasis on race weight, you know, or so much emphasis on like hitting this certain magic number that you'll be faster and you'll be stronger. Um, but that there's a bit, there's a very precipitous tipping point. You know, that all of a sudden there you're, is a tipping point. <laughs> you're not right. faster and stronger, even because you're not, you're not fueled, you're not recovered. Well, the other thing is that, you know, as you age, you naturally lose um, aerobic capacity and you naturally lose strength. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, I'm going to fight that tooth and nail, you know, mm-hmm. and we, we both are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to, um, <laughs> you have to accept that there is a little bit of loss and it's not necessarily because of menopause. It's because we're all getting older Mm -hmm. and you know, that's part of it. I mean, I always say all it takes is one person in your social circle who seems to be navigating this phase of life without gaining weight to make everybody else feel like they're just not trying hard enough. And we have to understand that when estrogen levels drop, body fat tends to redirect your middle even lean women will notice that. Um, but a friend of ours, Nancy Clark, who's like oh, a sports nutritionist. Yeah, I had a conversation with her recently and, and she's got this really sweet voice. And she's like, well, I tell my patients, you know, <laughs> dogs come in all kinds of breeds. You know, there are greyhounds and there are Labrador retrievers and there are bulldogs, you know, and so people do too. Like, I'd love to be a greyhound, but I'm definitely like a lab. <laughs> Labs are awesome. You know? I've had many. Right. So <laughs> you just have to understand it's just not because, you know, just because you don't look like you wish you looked right. doesn't mean that you're not trying hard enough. There's this thing called genetics that's playing a huge <laughs> role. So you want to be the best. And we say this over and over in the book. You want to be the best version of yourself that you can be and still live an enjoyable life. Amen. Amen. I think that's a good note to, uh, to leave on. And uh, I thank you very much, both of you for your time. And I wish you well. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, that's our show. 
I'd like to take a moment and thank everyone again for all the great reviews and for sharing the show on your socials. We are growing really fast and it's super exciting and it's all because of you and I really appreciate it. It's helping the show to spread and grow to all the women who need it. So keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And remember, we have a Facebook group, uh, the Menopause Feisties private group. You just request to be in. We'll let you in. We have more than a thousand badass women in there now sharing stories and swapping advice. It is awesome. Come join us. And join me next week for a conversation with Dr. Kristen Diefenbach. She is a certified mental performance consultant at West Virginia University. And we did a deep dive into the competitive psyche during menopause and how to cope with the psychological challenges that come at this time of life. I loved her philosophies and her insights, and I am certain you will too. So until next week, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.